Well, hello, Mr. Troy. How are you today? Welcome back. Hey, Bren. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for asking. Hey, what do you know? It's like our third episode. We've already got two down and our third one. And this is off to a, an amazing start. What do you think? I'm, I'm excited. This is like, it's just the beginning, but I'm liking hey, th it. Third time's a charm, right? This one should break all kinds of box office records. <laughs> That's right. This is going to be our best. So after this episode, we should just maybe just box it up and just uh, move on sell to something it. else. Yeah, we, we could sell it as a box DVD set, limited slip cover edition. What's your DVD collection these days? Do you even have them anymore? Because I, they're, ours are like in the garage somewhere in a box. If we're going to do this, let, let me just tell you when DVDs first came out, I was all in. Remember how on Tuesdays, Best Buy would have all the new DVDs and they would have them on sale? Or, no, or but go on, go on. <laughs> I would get that Sunday circular and see what DVDs were coming out and what were on sale. And I was there. I was there that day, Tuesday, you know, snatch up whatever DVDs there were. So I had a huge DVD collection and yeah. this was early 2000s. And then I would say about 2010 when streaming really started to catch on. Yeah. I stopped DVDs. I stopped yeah. really purchasing DVDs. You went to Blu-rays? I didn't even briefly. I, I yeah, you know, I picked up some, but I was kind of done with physical media. I kind of leaned in heavily towards the digital versions, streaming, buying the Kindle version of books, mm -hmm. Audible, listening to audiobooks that way instead of the books on cassette. But recently now with 4K, I have started the most times when things are streamed in 4K, they're heavily compressed mm -hmm. you know, so that they can get it. You Not don't get true the, 4K? You do get 4K, but you don't get the quality as from a physical media disc because it can fit a lot more data. I have recently gone back to physical media for movies just be, so I can get uncompressed 4K. You know, and I have an OLED TV, which really, you know, the images pop. So I've kind of gone back now to... I don't even have um, a DVD player anymore. I, I don't have a Blu-ray player anymore. Maybe I do. Maybe my PS3, it's in storage somewhere. I think they used to play Blu-rays. But yeah, it's all it's all digital, man. All streaming. This is the yeah. wave of the future. No physical stuff. That PS3, that was one of its biggest selling points. That, that was That's one right. of the cheapest Blu-ray players you could get. And it was a, a gaming console. Yeah. I think I used it more to, to play Blu-rays than to actually play video games. That's how much of yeah. a gamer I was. <laughs> But uh, yeah, man, the D the days of DVDs are uh, behind us. I have fond memories. It's kind of funny you say that because uh, you recently gave me some gifts for my 40th birthday. One of them was a very nice bottle of bourbon, which we enjoyed for a long time. Another one was an actual a Blu-ray disc. A long time, meaning two weeks before you <laughs> emptied it? No, it's huge. We we drank that for a while. We just finished it, I don't know, a few weeks ago. But you also gave me a Blu-ray of Day After Tomorrow, which I don't know what to do with. It's just sitting on my dresser now because I don't I don't have a Blu-ray player. I'm just kind of wondering, if I, should I throw it away? Should I just not say anything to him? Should I, is this a joke? I don't know what's going on. Good film. I just uh, have no use for that Blu-ray, but I appreciate I, the effort. I think it came with like a free digital version of it, right? I don't know. I haven't looked at it that much. Bryn, you drinking Diet Coke tonight? Yeah, so so sometimes I have the, the Diet Coke for energy, caffeine. It's a, been a long day, a long week. I have two monsters for kids. Uh, I love them, but they're monsters. So you have the energy 
Then oh, I, I have. I thought the... you meant you drank two monsters because of your kids. No, I don't really do the energy drinks that much. I do an occasional Zoa, you know, shout out to the rock, but not really. That's a healthy version, so to speak. Maybe. Yeah. A little caffeine, a little bit of bourbon to take the edge off, and then a little bit of water to stay hydrated. So I got three beverages in rotation. Tonight I am imbibing on the bourbon. Little nice. maker's mark to wash down the the work week with a little little bourbon. Well, let's uh let's wash down episode three and just take it down smooth. Our topic today, uh, I say topic, it's not my really topic, but what we're discussing, our movie, our film, is none other than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem came out what uh August first or second. Before we kind of get more into the the film side of things, anything to sprinkle in in terms of pop culture? What's going on in pop culture these days? Anything that uh, you have your eye on, Troy? The biggest thing is I'm a huge football fan, so football is right around the corner. Does you know, I had that on my pop culture. I, yeah, I had that on my notes too. I mean, I do guilty use some notes here and there. I wrote down football and back to school. You know, it's kind of time of year. Football, I know. And our listeners, now you will know, Troy is a big Florida State guy. College football, Florida State, Florida State alum. And I also love uh, college football. So it's kind of cool that it's right around the corner. I'd say, man, it's so crazy what's actually happening in the world of college football with all this conference realignment. It's, little, it's really kind of blowing my mind how this is just changing everywhere. Regardless, I'm still excited for college football. I'm sure you are too. You know, growing up, when I first got into football, I, it was all about the NFL. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboy fan, and that's because I grew up in Hawaii, so that was the team that was played the most on Sundays. So I'm a huge Dallas Cowboy fan, and I was a huge NFL guy growing up until I actually went to college, and I mm -hmm. went to Florida State. And that's such a big football school that you just can't help but become a fan of college football. And I have not looked back since. I'm a bigger college football fan now than i am nfl it's mm -hmm. just i i find the games are more exciting because you know they play fewer games so each game means a little more you know you got the tradition you got the I, like I, uh what's the word i'm looking for the pageantry that you don't really have in the nfl with yeah. like you know the schools the rivalries the history the fan base because especially if you went to that school that's your alma mater you know that's always going to be your alma mater the pride's just going to be there i was fortunate that florida state had a lot of really great seasons then they had some not so great seasons but it looks like they're starting to turn things around i will always bleed garnet and gold regardless of how the knolls are doing is that what but it's called garnet and gold those are our school colors garnet and gold garnet so, and gold all right right nice yeah i'm excited about that and the nfl i'm still um you know i have season tickets for the chargers they are my favorite afc team sofi stadium is great i love that stadium so i yeah. do enjoy going to those games. Pretty, I'll, pretty amazing although i still think the best seat in the house is in your house in front of a tv yeah i kind of get that i mean i think well that's why tv is is kind of king when it comes to the money maker for nfl college football because you know, that, that's what brings in the dough, the TV ratings, the TV deals. And with the way TVs are these days with the high definition, the 60, 70, 80 inches, I mean, it's it's like you're there and you get all this other commentary. You don't got to pay a lot of money to go to a tick for a ticket to go to the stadium and get that. It's fun to go to a stadium wherever it is. And But man, the TV experience these days is is pretty awesome. I would say I'm more of a college football fan as well. 
where I went to college uh, in Westmont College in Montecito, Santa Barbara, California, they did not have a football team. So I get to adopt basically any team I want. And being a West Coast guy, I've always cheered on USC football and UCLA to a certain extent, probably more USC because they're always, they've usually been the better team. And when I was in my younger days, they were they were dominating the Pete Carroll era. And that was really fun for me to watch. So yeah, but I do like UCLA as well, probably more UCLA for basketball, but I want them both to do well. Uh, it, it is crazy. They're moving over to the Big Ten uh, next year. Uh, as far as NFL goes, I'll watch NFL. If I had to pick a team, it'd probably be the, uh, the Rams, but I don't live and die at all by the NFL, more college football. The only bad thing about college football the last 10 years or so is that there's not enough parity. It's the same darn two, maybe three schools winning it every freaking year, like Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, 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 Alabama, Georgia. So it's like, I wish there was more opportunity there for, for schools to win. We'll see. Maybe we'll get there. Well, I think now with the, the transfer portal, college football is turning more into the NFL in a lot of ways. The money is definitely there. And I think with the introduction of the transfer portal, I think a lot of schools now are, because it doesn't matter if Alabama recruits, you know, the three best quarterbacks. If they're not going to play, they're going to transfer out and go somewhere else. Yeah. So they're not hoarding all of the talent, which I felt like they were doing for a while there. You know, Nick Saban's an amazing recruiter and that program, they have a lot of money and they could pretty much get anybody they want there. Yeah. But now with the transfer portal, I feel if players don't think they're going to get started, they will go to a different school. So I think that will level out the playing field. And I think that already shows the fact that Alabama isn't as dominant as they used to be. It's still, it seems like it's still the SEC's conference. Take, but, take uh, them down, man. Come on. Somebody else step in there. I, I held out. I wish the Pac-12 would have stepped up many years ago, but uh, they didn't. And I hope another um, school kind of comes into the fray. The ACC was, you know, with Clemson, yeah. obviously. Clemson and Florida State for a year. And, right in florida state for such a long time and i you know let's not discount back when usc was with the pac-12 you know they had their during their pete carroll era they had their highlights and their time in the, in the spotlight that was pretty I, awesome I, don't, I think we are it's not just going to be in alabama georgia clemson i'm, yeah. I'm hoping like you that we start to see some other schools start. Yeah. To... And the, and the playoff expanding to 12 teams, is going to be fun. You know, I do think I agree that, you know, with NIL and the transfer portal, it's kind of level leveling the playing field, you know, so to speak. Right. But, but, but Hey, I mean, we could talk about football all we want, you know, it's not a football podcast, but you never know. We just go with what, what's, what's going on, what we want to talk about, but I want to dive into our movie today, Mutant Mayhem. Troy, this is something you kind of brought up that you wanted to tackle in, in terms of a podcast. And what is it about Ninja Turtles that, uh, that fascinates you? Let's talk about as well. Like what are, what's your history? What's your memories? Uh, what's your childhood, whatever, um, what do you remember growing up about Ninja Turtles and why does it fascinate you? I have an interesting relationship with the Ninja Turtles because I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm a huge comic book guy, but right. I was more Marvel and then DC, but still more of the, the mainstream publishers. I do remember the craze around the Ninja Turtles when they first came out. Because and it started as a comic book, right? Is it that did. is that true? It started out you know, two guys, Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman, they drew it out of their apartment, out of their home. It was black and white. Mm -hmm. And it was almost kind of a joke at first that they had done it. It was kind of like a goofy thing that they were. Yeah. Messing what a weird concept. With. And it was in black and white. I was like, oh, black and white. But you remember this. reading up the black and white comic? Oh, no, I didn't. I, I never picked it up. 
I okay. never picked up Ninja Turtles. I wish I had, because I think if you had the first issue, uh, it's worth a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, out there somewhere. It's I amazing. never did. And then the animated series came out in the late 80s. And I right. remember that. And I would watch a couple. The The theme was kind of catchy. But it was still, that was more, I think, directed towards like kids. kids. I wasn't really into that as well. The comic book was more uh, mature audience not mature it, but you know it, it wasn't was. as like i didn't friendly. realize it at the time because i wasn't reading it but it it was a darker toned than the show than the the animated series my first reel that i really was absorbed by the mutant ninja turtles was the video game my brother yeah. had us uh, the nintendo NES. version right <laughs> oh yes. my gosh i we could talk about NES, that for sure uh, that was amazing i love that it, game my brother bought it and he was playing it and i thought Oh, Ninja Turtles. And it was colorful. And I thought, whatever. And he's like, no, this game is amazing. You got to play it. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I was addicted. I had to finish it. You know, it was a classic kind of side scroller. And that was kind of how I started to like the Ninja yeah. Turtles. And that was a top tier Nintendo game. Don't get me wrong. I mean, am I right? I mean, that was, you oh, think yeah. back, you think back about your days playing like regular Nintendo. That is one of the games that just pops in my head of playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it was, uh, I, could, I could just picture it right now, just like driving around in the car. And then like you pick your turtle and you have that weapon they use and you're in the sewer. It was awesome. It was awesome. Which, which turtle did you like to play with? If I which remember correctly, not Raphael. I think I, either Michelangelo or Donatello. They yeah. were my, my go-to guys. I liked Donatello because of the, you know, he had the bow staff. Yeah. And it was such a, like, it was almost a ranged weapon. Yeah. Yes, it was long. The reach. You could, yeah. <laughs> And you, you know, you could get enemies above you with that reach. So I thought that was amazing. But uh, yeah, that's when I first really was, I guess, immersed in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And then shortly after that is when the first movie came out. I really liked that. It was also kind of darker. It was Jim Henson. I was a big Jim Henson fan. Yeah. So I thought that just the, you know. Dude, that movie was great. Yeah, I mean, the costumes I'm, I thought looked great. The animatronic heads, I thought, oh, this looks really cool. Yeah, and it I did. felt I, real. It did. And I liked, and, you know, they were doing actual martial arts in those costumes. And I thought that was amazing. I was like, wow, like, how are they actually, you know, doing these backflips and these roundhouse kicks and these. See, that like movie came out in, um, I have it as 1990, give or take. Yes. So I was eight or nine. No, no, not even that old. 1990, I was seven years old. So now, yeah, now, now you know, listeners, how old I am. I remember just being in awe. Like, I actually did see that movie in the theater with some friends from school. I was so excited. I remember, like, seeing previews before it came out. And I was just, like, wondering, how in the heck are they going to make Ninja Turtles real? Like, that was just, like, foreign, amazing concept to me that you can have a real Ninja Turtle on a, in a movie. And just when I catchy music like they jumped out onto the screen and the movie just felt i kind of wish more movies and that's a whole different topic these days felt more grounded and real even though they're kind of not imaginary but supernatural or you know things that aren't real but they set them in the real world i kind of like that 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 type of movie and to a seven-year-old it was a a great experience i remember the cartoon as well how can you forget that that tune of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in the Half Show, Turtle Power? Okay. Turtle Power. Turtle Power. Yes. And the yeah. band. <laughs> this is going back a ways, but uh, 
like you, I just have very fond memories uh, of the Turtles. There was even an arcade game. I don't know if you ever played that at like. I, I never know. played the arcade game. It was a little but... bit different than the Nintendo game, but still pretty cool. I honestly and... think once the Nintendo system came out, I don't think I ever played an arcade game again. Well, why would you? Who's going to go like take all these quarters that you exactly. don't have? <laughs> I mean, I guess it was something to do like socially with some kid friends and get out of the house and get into mischief and go play some arcade games um, before, you know, you're old enough to go to a bar. But um, well, yeah, you could, just, you could just play it at home for free. For me, the arcade was the bowling alley. That's where mm-hmm. I would play video games because arcades wasn't really a thing yet. Like just a, a dedicated spot to play video that games. didn't exist when you were a kid. It didn't exist. <laughs> it was either the roller rink or the bowling alley or the 7-Eleven would have, you know, like Pac-Man or or yeah. Galaga. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But once the Nintendo came out, I just thought, wow, that this is it, amazing. Man. These are, you know, the graphics were great for the time and you didn't have to pump a bunch of quarters in there. Yeah. You just had to hope that the cartridge worked most of the time, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> sometimes but as they got older. Just remember, you just, all you had to do was blow on the contacts. Blow it. And then, yep. Give it or a use some rubbing alcohol and it just, you know, makes it right as rain. But fast forward a little bit, you know, to, to bring us up to a little bit of speed and a history, a little bit more history on the, the, the turtles here. You had a couple of sequels to that film, The Seeker of the Ooze, um, I think came Not out in right. 91. Not a good film. Uh, they kind of went more of a, in a different, it was the same characters. Um, not sure if it's the same voice actors, but it was a little too childish. Um, yeah. Not as they dark as the first one. They definitely lightened the tone up a bit. Yeah, which I hate when they do that. I mean, talking to you, Batman and Robin and Batman forever. What I do like about that sequel was the Vanilla Ice song. That was catchy for me. The, the ninja, ninja Rap. Ninja Rap song? <laughs> yeah. Ninja, Ninja Rap. Go Turtles. No, what's it? Go, go Turtles, tur- go, go Turtles, go. Go Turtles, go. Oh, yeah. go. Yeah. And they even played that a little bit in the in the, in the Mutant film if you caught that it was pretty cool. yes yes i did but that was the only good part of, notes. of secret of the ooze there was another animated film just called tmnt for short in 2007 i remember watching that in theaters it was yeah it was nothing that great i did not catch that one no you didn't miss much but you know it was the first movie that come out on on the turtles in a long time so i went and yes. watched it what was disappointing though is when they tried to recapture you know like a live action turtles movie they they did a, a version i think it was in 2014 teenage mutant ninja turtles uh it was maybe produced by michael bay i don't think he directed it and they yeah, had produced um, by michael bay yeah they had megan fox in it it just i had high hopes for that you would think maybe with the success the you know the kind of a success he had at Transformers that he would do a decent job with Turtles, but that was a, a disappointment. Remember that well, movie? Did you, did you like it? I, it I was. <laughs> I like Megan Fox, and that's probably about it. You like the her thing, in general? Just like her as April O'Neil in that movie? Um, I like her in general. Not All right. Huge, All right. Huge fan I'll, of I'll her let you acting you, chops. Give you uh, that. I will let the audience discern what it is I like about her. <laughs> okay. We don't have to talk about that too much. But, you know, the one thing about the 2014 movie as opposed Mm -hmm. to the 1990 movie is the Turtles were all CGI. They were. And not not great. It just didn't feel real. Like you're saying, it It didn't. The original movie, everything was practical. The 1990 movie, it was all in camera. Even Splinter was, I don't know how they did it, but he was some sort of, of animatronic puppet of some kind and the shredder yes. was a lot of cgi to him as well right oh yeah that's what it 
everything just even though it was set kind of in the real world it still didn't feel real it was cgi a lot of it was just cgi and i'm not saying the cgi was bad it's just having that original movie where i saw what they did with practical effects with that and it looked great it looked fantastic mm -hmm. i just wish they could have done that for this movie it makes you kind of wonder like can you even in 2023 can you do a full cgi character in a live action movie and still looks real enough to kind of suspend belief and not just be like oh yeah that guy's just cgi that it's hard it was yeah it it is hard i'm not saying it can't be done I think, you know, Ryan Johnson famously reverted Yoda back to a, a puppet for um, The Last Jedi. For The Last Jedi. But there were some criticisms about that as well. But I thought it was great. I thought it, it looked fine. But once again, he's an alien creature. I The turtles, not like they're indigenous or anything. But <laughs> um, I think it could have. I think it can be done. I honestly done. think it can it be done. It can't be done cheaply, though. You got to actually some vfx artists not cut corners right because the audience will just no even deep fakes are kind of like you know they're okay but they're still like they kind of mislead the eye a little bit they're not totally believable all the time either so i think, that, I think there's just too much of reliance on cgi sometimes mm -hmm. and they just automatically go to that instead of trying and seeing if it can be done practically i just think that sometimes you know, if you do the effects in camera, it grounds the, it grounds it more. You know, it's a lot more believable. That's the thing about that movie. I mean, the stories kind of suck too. The writing wasn't great for the 2014, and not that the 1990 movie was an Oscar-winning right. you know, movie, but it was it was a darker tone, and like you said, it just felt grounded in reality. It felt yeah. like I could believe that there were four turtles living in the sewers in new york and they had a sensei totally. that was a rat totally yeah and why would you why would they go away from that formula and in, in the two sequels to that movie i don't think i even watched the the third one like turtles in time uh, i think back that in the, but that was straight to video it, i think it too. might have been uh, maybe yes. i i had had a, a brief you know viewing of that but that i think was even worse and it's just like I feel like studios make that mistake all the time. They, they for some reason, they want to try to appeal to like the kid audience, the Happy Meal toys, instead of making it seem more real. And I think a lot of times it's a mistake. I don't know. But yeah, that, that first film, um, I have fond memories of that. And I hope we do get a real life Ninja Turtles film someday that um, kind of makes me feel that way again. But maybe I'm just too old and maybe it's because I was seven. That's why I liked it so much. Right. I think sometimes the movies we've seen were kids, we just have a different experience to that. And we hold on to those movies a little bit differently. Whereas if that movie came out today and we watched it today, we'd be like, this movie is terrible, <laughs> you know? Right. right. Um, yeah. Nostalgia does tend to put some rose colored glasses over you. There there have been some movies that I have revisited and I thought, man, I used to think that was awesome. And it's that's not really good. Yeah. But not that great. Well, coming back to this Mutant Mayhem uh, movie, I think what the exciting part was kind of going into it was that, A, you know it's animated, so you don't got to worry about you know CGI and stuff like that. You just take it as an animated film going in. But knowing that Seth Rogen is going to be involved, um, I think he was kind of the brainchild. You know, it was kind of his brainchild, and he was a motor behind it. Um, he didn't direct it. Uh, I think he wrote uh, credit for some writing. 
um, but he was kind of the face of this movie. I took that with some positive uh, kind of hype because, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a funny actor. He's done, he's produced some pretty good movies, um, especially teenage movies. So I think he would um, kind of understand the teenage part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you can tell, I mean, that was definitely a focus of this movie was to really focus on the turtles being teenagers. And from the guy that made super bad, like a really classic now, now classic. I mean, the movie came out, I don't know, 20 years ago, teenage movie. It was a, a, that marriage was good between Seth Rogen's vision of, of the film and how he wanted to, to stress the importance of these characters are just teenagers that really came out in the film. And I really like that, that angle that he was going for. And I, I think that was a positive part of the film. I was not expecting that aspect of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, I when I saw the the trailer for it, you know, oh, so I don't you did watch, watch this trailer. Well, hmm? I don't watch trailers of movies that I'm want to see. Yep. Initially, I did not want to see this movie because just the previous few attempts at a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie had been awful, and I thought, and I when I first saw the trailer, and I thought, oh, they're going for a a Spider Verse kind of feel, like that alternative animation <laughs> style. And I just thought, okay, they're trying to capitalize on that and piggyback on that, and they're going to do a Ninja Turtle with this unique animation style. So I was not interested in seeing the movie at all. But then, oh, then you I, got interested. I got interested, yes. The Seth Rogen angle to it kind of pulled me in a little more. Mm-hmm. And and then it just started getting, you know, the reviews were good, and I thought, okay, I think I'm going to if it didn't have, if it didn't get good reviews, I don't think you'd be having this podcast. <laughs> Once it got no. good reviews, it's like, all right, let's let's take a look and see what this thing's all about. Because I'm not about to go see a animated film with poor reviews and a low tomato score. So I think um, having that uh, positive word of mouth, that positive review feedback, um, you know, critic score or audience score, makes me want to go check out the film. Back to the teenage thing, I did enjoy that part of the film. I think the voice actors maybe sounded a little too young. Um, they sounded almost like they weren't even teenagers, like they were 10-year-olds, 9-year-olds. Uh, they sounded a little young for me in the voices. So I wasn't like a good part of the film. I don't think it was the voice acting for the turtles necessarily just because of the how they sounded in terms of their age. Maybe that'll get better to do a sequel. Mm-hmm. But the other voice acting, I think, was pretty good. You had, and I'll give these guys some credit because they they did a good job. I just thought they sounded kind of Micah Abbey as Donatello. I think it's Shimon Brown Jr., Michelangelo, Nicholas Cantu as Leonardo, Brady Noon as Raphael. I just want to give them their props. I have no idea who they are, where they came from, their experience movies, but those are the guys that did the Turtles. But I think more of the um, publicity of the film is the other kind of known actors that were going to be in the film doing voice acting. So you had Ice Cube, actually. He voiced Superfly. And I think that was a good match. I think he was kind of funny. And the, the he was the main villain, Superfly, in the movie. And I liked his performance. And I, he also had um, Maya Rudolph in there. Um, you had Seth Rogen as Bebop. John Cena as Rocksteady. You had Paul Rudd, which I didn't even realize is Paul Rudd until I saw the credits, as Mondo Gecko. So I think the other voice acting that, that complimented the Turtles was, was pretty funny, interesting, seeing some of those big names in there. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Ice Cube, I mean, I thought his performance was the best. I it was. Loved, he was I funny. loved Superfly because I could see Ice Cube like <clears throat> voicing this guy. Like There was characteristics of Ice Cube's personality that mm-hmm. came out through in the performance. 
mm-hmm. and I just thought it was great. I Superfly was the best thing about the movie, if you ask me. I, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I I hope he's going to be. If they do any more, Superfly. I hope Superfly comes back because Ice Cube voicing Superfly was the best thing about the movie. You know, Seth Rogen and John Cena as Rock City. I mean, they don't have a lot to yeah, do. Yeah, not a lot of lines. Yeah, not a lot of lines, and it was just like, eh, I'm kind of there. You know, any I think anybody could have played them and they yeah. didn't necessarily have to um same thing with maya rudolph i i didn't her character once again kind of not a she's not in the movie a whole lot and no. i'm not not a lot of maya rudolph shown through in the performance right not like in with ice cube superfly but paul rudd's mondo gecko i was the same way with you i didn't know it was him but i liked the performance i thought he was funny he was quirky and outside of Superfly, I thought that was probably yeah. my second favorite um, voice. I, I don't recall. Was Superfly and Mondo Gecko some of these characters? Are they actual characters from the the old TV shows or the old? I don't remember I, them in the video yeah, game. Yeah, I don't remember I mean, Mondo Gecko at all. There was yeah. there was kind of a a fly character. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe he was called Superfly, but okay. I I do remember that there being a mutant fly in. The so this is a possibly an original movie. character for this film, maybe. maybe. Fact or, check that. or maybe just a different take. Different on, take. Bebop and Rocksteady, they're they're like staples of the Turtles. So yes, especially yeah. the animated series. It seemed yeah. like they were the main foils outside of Shredder. One thing that this movie does not have is Shredder. Were you surprised right. with that? I was kind of surprised. I mean, you kind of find out that Superfly is the main villain. I don't know halfway through. Right. So I kind of kind of accept the fact that Shredder is not going to appear, which is an interesting take, I think, of this film, because usually when you kind of do a reboot or start a film, you're going to go with the classic villain just to have, you know, off the bat, you know, the classic villain meets the classic heroes and you have that kind of conflict there. Um, I think it still held its own pretty well, the movie did, but without Shredder in it. But they did tease the Shredder at the very end in the mid credit scene, I think that is, that's a cool way to do things. I mean, I think it's good to establish the characters sometimes first without the main villain and bring them in in the second film, assuming the first film's good. Perfect example of that is, um, I think, Batman Begins. When they rebooted Batman in 2005, they didn't bring back the Joker right away. But at the end of that movie, Batman Begins, you get that tease for the Joker and it sets up the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight, you know, was amazing. You get that, that, that Joker Batman experience in the second film. So I think that's a good, cool way to do it. If you can, if you can pull it off. And I think they, they kind of did that, that here. I think they teased Shredder a little bit at the end and you kind of set yourself up for excitement and some hype for the second film. The fact that there was no Shredder, I did not miss Shredder at all. I just thought it was, no. I was expecting Shredder, but I did not miss him, but mainly because Superfly was such a good character. Yeah. If your other villain is good, then you're not going to miss Shredder as much. I mean, you you could have a Shredder in there that sucks, like the one that was CGI in the, you know, the other version that we talked about. So, but Shredder is the the classic Turtles villain and the Foot Clan. They weren't they were nowhere to be seen as well. The movie's doing well, so I'm sure there's going to be a sequel, and I'm sure we'll see Shredder and the Foot Clan. Which also reminds me, getting back to a little bit to the history of the Ninja Turtles, I'm going to give you some trivia. All right. Laid I, on me. I hope you know what the turtles are named after, right? Artists from the Renaissance. Yes. Correct? 
specifically but, it Italian Renaissance artists. Italian Renaissance, but Donatello is not in that category. That was actually a made-up name. I mean, because there was a Raphael, there was a Michelangelo, there was a Leonardo, but there was no Donatello in the Renaissance. Do I have that correct? He's not as big a character or as big a figure okay. um, in the Renaissance, but, but he is there, was a, there was a Donatello. Okay, then I'm He's wrong. He's not as famous as the other ones. Okay. And speaking of, you, br you brought up the Foot Clan and Shredder, but mostly the Foot Clan, and if we go back to Splinter as well, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, when they were coming up with this, you know, their favorite comic at the time was Frank Miller's Daredevil. That's where they got, because Daredevil's mentor was a character called Stick. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they made the Turtles mentor Sensei Splinter. Splinter? Right. I see. Daredevil went up against the Ninja Clan in his comic book, and they were called The Hand. The Hand. Okay. So, of course, um, Laird and Eastman, their Ninja Clan ah. is called The Foot Clan. I didn't know that. It's so, a good parallel. I mean, the, the Hand and Stick, these are all, if you watch the Daredevil Netflix series, they're prominent in that. So, right. that's pretty cool parallel. I uh, I didn't know that. There was a uh, a comic book version series that had the, the Ninja Turtles and Batman in it. Do you hear about that? You ever read any of those those comic yes. books? I you didn't did? read them, but that was once again Crossover. just yes, just kind of building on the popularity of the Ninja Turtles. They mm -hmm. they crossed over with a lot of characters. They they crossed over with some Image books, some Batman books, but that was also a big thing with the 90s there was a lot of crossovers in comic books you're probably more versed on that than i am being more of a, having more of a comic book background right. i kind of like have a general knowledge but i think you were have a deep knowledge of the comic book histories and all the the characters and all that stuff yeah in the 90s there was a lot of crossovers especially when image kind of broke you know when jim liefeld or excuse me rob liefeld jim lee todd mcfarland broke away from marvel in DC, they started Image and that got really popular, but then they started lagging in sales a little bit. So they did some crossovers with some of the main studios or pretty much any character just to help um, promote sales. And so hmm. they did they did crossovers with DC characters, with the Ninja Turtles, but that was a big thing in the 90s. It seemed like crossovers were would drive sales so of course whatever makes money is what everybody's going to do and in fact at one point dc and marvel did a line they called them amalgam comics and that's when they merged some of their characters mm -hmm. so batman merged with wolverine and he was called i believe dark claw dark and claw yeah there wow was, there was You're some dropping weird... some nuggets here i like it yeah there was some weird once again, it was all a gimmick just to promote sales. And Jim Lee, or not Jim Lee, Stan Lee had actually come up. It was his idea, and he had created some of these characters. But yeah, the 90s were a strange time for comic books. I think it was, you know, the most sales that has ever occurred in the history of comic books. On the golden era, would you say, of comic books? Uh, I would say it was the green era, because that green was era. the money era. And yeah. It was very much, that's when you had a lot of the holographic covers, just a lot of gimmicks to, to sell books. Yeah, and, Death of Superman. Yeah, you know, and so many different covers. I think even that one, there was, you know, the black cover. And, mm -hmm. I think I had that. You know, comic books were shipping in bags so that people could preserve them. It, it was a interesting era for comic books. Yeah. 
who would have thought that they would turn into billion dollar, you know, movie tent poles and make, you know, be absorbed by big corporations like like Disney and, and Warner Brothers. Brothers. But um, but yeah, it's kind of cool because people that are, you know, more or less our age, you know, that were kids when these comic books were popular now get to enjoy them being brought to film. Well, most of the time, hopefully we enjoy them um, some better than others. But yeah, I think it's just a cool pa- uh, parallel, not parallel, but just, you know, the way things work out with being our age, whereas we got to experience the comics as kids and we got to experience the movies as adults. I think it's kind of neat, but yeah, I digress. I do like a good crossover. I uh, Whether it's film, movie, comic book, even video game. I remember there was a, a DC versus Mortal Kombat video game. I think I played that for a while on PlayStation three maybe uh didn't they even do like a street fighter versus capcom video game so i don't know whatever kind of is fun and people are going to play the game read the comic movies could be a little bit more difficult i mean i don't think i want to see a a transformers um ninja turtles crossover movie other stuff is cool you know know we're going to see a transformers gi joe movie no we're not you don't know that Oh, you didn't you didn't see the last Transformers movie? I didn't. I stopped watching a while ago. Oh, yeah. They they tease it at the very end of that. Okay, just because it's teased though doesn't mean it's actually going to happen, uh, but I mean, you're right. It does, but if it if they do so, continue it, they are that's the you're, plan. You're talking about the last one, uh Rise of the Beast Transformers. That's correct. That's so correct. what happened? You can tell me, spoiler alert. So at the end of that movie there's GI Joes that pop up in the movie. And that the no, after, after there credit scene. Is, <laughs> there is um the main character, and I forget the actor's name, the guy that was in Hamilton. He is recruited by this gentleman who gives him his card. And I honestly thought he was gonna turn the card over and it was just gonna be like Nest, which was kind of like from the first trans because this this Transformers movie is is set before the first Transformers movie. Okay. So is it Anthony Ramos? Ramos? Yes. And it's okay. it's kind of a prequel. So I thought okay. they were going to tease the, you know, the nest, the the government um, organization that kind of um, goes after the Transformers in the first movie. But mm-hmm. no, he flips the card over and it says G.I. Joe on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know. We could talk about G.I. Joe another another day and Transformers another day. The G.I. Joe yes. films were nothing to, to write home about. Transformers, maybe the first one, Bumble, Bumblebee, maybe it was okay. I didn't see Rise of the Beasts or Last Night or the ones with Mark Wahlberg. I know they're pretty popular, especially maybe overseas in like China and stuff. But but let's get back to the, the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about the story is you hinted at it. They really lean heavily into the the turtles wanting to be accepted, right? Right. Which is right. a common common high school theme, right? Everybody feels like they're an outsider for the most part, and they they're an outcast. Like, they don't fit right, in. They're outcasts. That's a major theme of this movie, and I think it worked for the most part. Yeah, I think the main theme of it is the fact that they, you know, one one character we didn't mention in his voice was um, Splinter himself was voiced by Jackie Chan. Right. Yeah, and I think he did a good. They even did like a different kind of angle on Splinter, which I think was cool. He wasn't like this kind of wise old guy that like a kind of like a monk type character that did everything right he was more of like an old kind of fat you know version of splinter that it's kind of goofy right yeah it was you definitely get jackie chan in the performance totally you can hear jackie chan it's his mannerisms and everything 
But you're right. This version of Splinter is less the all-knowing wise sensei. Yeah. And he's more the overprotective father. Yeah. Right? He wants to keep them in the sewer and he right. wants them to stay away from the humans. Right. He thinks humans are terrible and he thinks they can only be safe in the sewers. And he wants to shelter them and keep them protected. So it's a different take on Splinter. Mm -hmm. um, but it was fresh. One of, yeah, and I liked it. I thought that worked. One of the best fight scenes in the entire movie is with Splinter. I, I thought his sequence where he's rescuing the turtles was, yeah. was great. And it, and I thought a lot of it was very Jackie Chan-esque. You know, he, yeah, you, you kind of felt like of it was a Jackie, Jackie Chan style of uh, fighting, which was awesome yes. to see. Yeah, using a lot of the, you know, what's around him, using a lot of furniture, chairs. So I thought that was great how they kind of incorporated that. So not only did you have Jackie Chan's voice as Splinter, but you also had Jackie Chan's fighting style. That, yeah. That's that was well was. well executed, well done. Probably one of the highlights of the movie. It is kind of funny how they did it too, because when he saves them, their turtles are being milked in a way from their right. their mutant powers. And he always <laughs> warned them, the turtles, like, oh, don't go to the humans, they're gonna milk you. And they're like, Splinter, how are they gonna milk us? We don't even have nipples. That's such a dumb thing to say. And sure enough, they get milked in the movie and he has to save them from being milked from the evil humans. Right. Good <laughs> definitely a good payoff, which was that was a running gag throughout the movie yeah and, definitely but speaking of action scenes i thought the action scenes in this were really well done mm -hmm. i thought the um they really incorporated the animation style and the action scenes were some of my best moments in the movie were just how they portrayed the action and i think even one homage to the game they kind of did a, a side scrolling action scene as You're well right. at You're one right. point and i thought oh that's you know, I don't know if that was a direct throwback to the video game, but I thought, oh, if it is, kudos. Good job. Yeah. You know, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, but I think I agree. And the animation you, you kind of mentioned, too, it was a unique style of animation, which, you know, is hard to say these days because animation has been done so many times um, over. It kind of looks the same. But it is it was kind of like CGI. I mean, not CGI, but it was animation that was it looked kind of like hand-drawn in some elements, but it wasn't. Um, it was kind of like Spider-Verse, but different. I don't know how to describe it, but the animation style was unique and an enjoyable part of the movie to watch. The Spider-Verse movies weren't out there. I would have thought, wow, this animation style is awesome. It's it's completely different. It does have its own style yeah. apart from Spider-Verse. I'm not saying yeah. it's, a, it's an exact, but I think that kind of, stylized animation and yes most of it was cgi just like in spider-verse yeah um, i wouldn't know how to okay. describe it though it's kind of has this unique style of animation right. that's never been done before that i've seen i mean i don't watch a ton of animated films but it seemed pretty new to me and i did like it if the spider-verse movies hadn't aren't out there i would have thought wow i i would have seen this movie on the trailer just based on the way it looks i was like wow that looks completely different than anything we've ever seen yeah and it was, it, it still has its own unique look, but it's not radically different because of the Spider-Verse movies. We have seen those. And I thought that was such a different take on an animation style. Um, yeah, it, it totally I, was. And it, it, I think it worked. And they made the turtles look all kind of unique as well, which is, you know, it's been done before in, in some films, some films, they all kind of look the same. They just had different color mask on, but I liked how they made them. You know, Raphael's kind of the bigger one, and Michelangelo's the shorter one. 
you know, and they all come out a little bit different color skin and different sh shape face and body. So I, I think I like the, you know, how they, they, they kind of design the turtles and they each had their unique personalities as well in the film. So, yeah, definitely well done. Overall, what, what was your take? Did you enjoy the movie? Would you recommend it? Yeah, I think... And I'll touch on this too. I think the music was actually an, an enjoyable element as well. Kind of the, the songs they put in there. Now that I'm talking about it, I can't think of one song that was in the movie, but I remember watching it and they kind of had timely songs put in there um, that that like boosted the action or whatever was going on in the movie. But overall, I think, hey, if you like Spider-Verse and you like Ninja Turtles and you don't mind watching animated films, like by all means, this movie is for you. It's good. I'd say two thumbs up it's not a long film it the plot is pretty simple so you can go get some popcorn and enjoy it sit back you'll be out of there in two hours or under depending on how many previews you see i think the runtime is only an hour and a half or so yeah if those kind of things you're into you're into turtles you don't mind animated films go see this movie it is thumbs up it is built and it is created for for your liking getting back to the music um i mean they do have some songs that are thrown in there my favorite i think no diggity was that's right that's what i was trying to think of right was i think they did good use of that song mm -hmm. the score was actually done by trent Reznor and atticus ross which kind of surprised me they're more you you just wouldn't think they would do an, a mutant ninja turtle movie i mean usually they do david finch movies you know something that are more serious but um i thought the score was was well done Right, And it seems like with a lot of animated movies now, especially ones that are targeted toward a little bit of a younger audience, there seems to be a, a revival in 80s and 90s music. So they're right. pumping a lot of that into the... And sometimes I feel like they're just throwing it in there and there's no context to it. Like I said, I thought No Diggity kind of fit perfectly where they put it into the movie. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought you're right. The music, the music worked for the most part. I still think there are sometimes I thought, oh... I think they just throw this song just to kind of throw it in there. Yeah. But, um, hey, but any overall... movie that has no diggity in it that makes it work is an A plus in my book. I mean, yeah. I guess that's an oldie for a lot of people out there that are younger than us that I love that song. But uh, yeah, the, to use that song in a Turtles movie of all things is, uh, man, kudos to you, Seth Rogen. <laughs> so, but overall, I would, I would recommend this movie. I was not looking forward to seeing this movie. I was it wasn't even on my radar. It's slowly Seth Rogen. It's starting to get good reviews. I wanted to see it and I'm glad I saw it. Like you said, it, it's about an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. It, and that's the perfect time. I think any longer might have been too long. Yeah. And and it just I think the length worked just perfectly. I would recommend this if somebody were to ask me, should I go see Mutant Mayhem? I'll say, yeah. Yeah. I'd say the popcorn society society likes it, approves it, so that means you should go see it. And that not, might not be the case every time, but I think uh, for Troy and I and popcorn society, it's a win. Go see Mutant Mayhem. If I had to do one knock on it, I, you know, I'm kind of nitpicking here. They might have had maybe one or two too many of the mutants in there um, that were a little excessive in terms of like you know the bad guy mutants that were on superfly's team but again that's being a little bit nitpicky could have done without one or two of those guys uh, they all had weird names and funny voices uh but uh but yeah i think we we're both in agreement this is a good movie and we're, we're glad that we're able to review it today
surprisingly good. So Troy, good talk on Ninja Turtles. I mean, good going back in the time machine to the 1980s and talking about video games and everything like that, comic books. Uh, but let's let's look into the future of popcorn society now. Uh, what are you going to talk about next? What's our next episode going to be on? Well, I think we are going to move away from the big screen and do something on the television screen and review the Disney Plus series Secret Invasion. That's right. If you know me, I'm a I'm a big Marvel fan, big MCU fan, and I could talk for hours on that. Like I have done that before. If you know my other podcasts I've done in the past. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Secret Invasion. I can't wait to do it. Um, you have Nick Fury um, in the fold. You have Samuel L. Jackson back in full effect. So, uh, you know, without getting too much into it, we're going to review that in our next episode. We can't wait to share it with you guys. But thank you for listening to Popcorn Society today. Thank you for listening. Uh, we had fun. Troy, pleasure as always. You keep popping over there. You stay classy. Every kernel pop, my friend. Every kernel pop. No kernel left behind. You guys uh, had fun out there today. Take care. Bye.